This morning with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. I know I'm like many of you here, everything from the neck up is completely stopped up. I'm underwater. It sounds like, in my head, I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. I hope it's not that bad. Is it okay on that end? Okay. But don't let, don't let my head fool you. The rest of me good. I'm strong, so. Matthew 28, verse 1. Very familiar portion of Scripture. And uh, I like it just like it's written. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. I bet they did. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. Mark that in your Bible. Fear and joy. And they did run to bring his disciples' word. Jesus had to die to pay for my sins. And that cleared me of judgment. But in the same way he died and the judgment was passed because it was paid for, I would have stayed in the tomb just like he was. Just because I wasn't sentenced to hell doesn't mean that I had an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. He prophesied that if you tear this building down in three days, I'll raise it again. They thought when he said temple, he was talking about the temple in Israel, but he was talking about his physical temple. And he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days. And Jesus, becoming our sin, becoming our sin, so intermingled with our sin that God could not distinguish between the Christ and us, that he turned his back upon him and the sky went completely black. And he cried from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He forsook him because he became us. And God is too holy to look upon evil. And he went into the lower parts of the earth. And for three days, he stayed there. Many scholars have conjecture on what happened. You'll hear some say that demons assailed him for those three days in the earth. And others say he was only separate apart in Abraham's bosom. But we know this, that all the Old Testament saints that had died looking toward the cross were in one part of the earth, uh, lower, lower part of the earth called Hades. And there was Hades and Sheol. And all the saints that had killed those lambs looking forward to the Lamb of God, they were in one compartment. But Jesus, has, Jesus hadn't died. And the others who were not believers, not part of the covenant. There's only covenant people and people without covenant. And they're in the other parts. And they could see over, but they couldn't cross the chasm. And on the third day when Jesus arose with power in his hand, he took captivity captive, all the Old Testament saints, 
And triumphantly, he marched out of hell with them. And the Bible said that many people in Jerusalem saw deceased relatives walking through the streets. I'd have loved to have a video camera on that morning. That looked like Uncle Earl. Did you see that? There goes Uncle Earl right there. Right before they ascended, he let them just walk through the earth. And the resurrection is the, the, the foundation of all that we hold true. And so not only was I forgiven, but I was resurrected into new life. And the life that I now live, the life that I now live, it's different than the life that I used to live. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. But that's not my subject. I want to speak to you on that phrase of fear and joy. When you encounter the story of the resurrection, fear and joy, fear and joy, fear and joy. And by the grace of God, that's the subject I want to speak to you about this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I believe with my heart that you gave me this word for today. And I pray, oh Lord, that if there's any possible way you could use me, that you would do so today. Help me to have a clear mind, authoritative words. Let me speak in such a way that it's easy to understand. Don't let me get in the way, oh Lord. And let truth come like an arrow from your quiver into the souls of men. And let those that see you resurrected today, let them experience fear and joy. And may their joy be so great that it eclipses all the fear. And I thank you for the opportunity that's mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, fearful that God is not who he says he is and joyful that I was wrong. Fearful that God is not who he said he is and joyful that I was wrong. In Matthew 28, it said that the ladies went to see the sepulcher. They didn't go to see the resurrected Christ, even though he told them over and over and over that I must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and I'll be raised again the third day. But they weren't going to look for the resurrected Christ. They were going to see the sepulcher. We are so afraid that he's not who he said he is, that he's not the savior of the world. So afraid that he doesn't know us, that he doesn't know us perfectly, and that he doesn't love us, and that he doesn't love us always. So afraid that his grace is not greater than our sin. Does God really have a plan for my life? Does he really have a specific plan for my life? Does he really have a detailed plan and a perfect plan for my life? The resurrection, when you come in contact with the story of a Christ that died and a Christ that was risen, it addresses my fears. Are you really real? Or should I look for another? Am I in a fantasy? Am I in an illusion? I've never seen heaven. I can't prove to you there's a heaven. I can't prove to you there's a God. I can't snap my finger and make an angel appear. And our greatest fear is, is this all there is? Are we really like the secular humanists say? Are there, is there no difference between us and a cow that just dies and goes back to the earth? So afraid that God is not who he said he is. That's why they went to the sepulcher. And so joyful that they were wrong. 
God is God. God is truth. God is eternal. And that name given unto you for salvation, there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if the whole world doesn't believe, he's God anyway. Yeah, I'm preaching better than that clap, but that's all right. That's just good. Number two, fearful of the obstacles in my way and joyful that God still moves them. Fearful of the obstacles in my way and joyful that God still moves them. Mark 16, telling the same story, says this. And they said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that this great stone was rolled away, a great stone. All of us, those of you in this room that don't call yourself Christians and you say, I just, I don't believe, I'm not born again. And you may visit a church. Listen, let me tell you what we all identify with, with you, us. We're all in the same situation. There are great stones in our life that block us from God. All of us. There's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. We're all like sheep that have wandered off. Impossible stones. We can't get to God. Don't you listen to these people that said the goal of life is to get your life good and right so that God can accept you. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're hopeless. We're helpless. The only way we can get to God is if he moves the stone out of the way. Jesus still moves stones Stones that other people have put in our way when they tried to block the Christ, the entrance of the tomb. Somebody else put that stone in the way. A stone of offense. A stone of stumbling. Some of you, your obstacle to grace today is someone in your life that used to name the name of Christ and lived the exact opposite. Harmed you or abused you or neglected you. And don't confuse that false profession with the true nature of who God really is. Some of us have stones of regret. Say, I, I believe, but I've done too much. They, they believe, they, the grace is right there, but stones of regret and remorse, stones of shame. Oh, in these 25 years of preaching, if I could tell you how many times I've sat in rooms with men who have done horrible things to their children, horrible things to their wife, women who cannot get over what they did to a child in their womb. They can't get past it. The stone is too large and it's too secure and you can preach grace and you can preach grace and you can preach grace and it's like a, a distant echo that they hear but they can't get to it because their sin has separated them from God and their history has made them dull to hearing and all they know is the darkness on the other side of the rock that someone else rolled in their way or that they rolled themselves. All they know is they can't get out. And if they're going to get out, God's going to have to do it. Religious stones, self-righteous stones, self-centered stones, and inherited stones. 
Stones that won't allow us to see outside of our own small lives. Stones that block out the light that God wants to shine inside of us and around us. Stones that we cannot move on our own strength. Have you ever thought of this? Why did God send an angel to move the stone? Jesus walked through the rock. He didn't move the stone so Jesus could get out. He moved the stone that we could see in. And this morning, by the power of his spirit, he's moving things. And some of you are going to glimpse God for the first time. You're going to feel things you didn't plan on feeling. You're going to see things you didn't plan on seeing and that you might not have even believed. Because God's still in the quiet of the morning when no one's looking. He moves stones out of the way so we can get a glimpse of who he really is. Number three, we're fearful of the turbulence surrounding us and joyful at what the turbulence brings. Fearful of the turbulence around us and joyful at what the turbulence brings. The Bible said in Matthew 28, 2, that there was a great earthquake. A great earthquake. Did Jesus, well, did, did the Father have to have an earthquake to move the stone? Did the angel rolling the stone create an earthquake? I don't think so, because men rolled the stone in front of the sepulcher to keep to seal it so that Jesus would stay inside and others couldn't get to the body. What was the earthquake about? Sometimes God sends earthquakes to your life. He shakes your earth to get your attention so that you won't miss this thing that he's doing or about to do. There are people in this room, I felt the spirit of God tell me yesterday, he said, they feel like their whole life, the foundations are being shook and I could see like a visual picture of, of plaster coming off a wall and them not knowing where to run. See, when an earthquake happens and now with the rise of internet and, and viral videos, they'll always post these earthquake videos and you'll see the people in one room run three different directions. They don't know what to do. And sometimes we're cursing the earthquake and it's the very thing that is taking our attention off everything that we are so tuned into so that we'll be able to hear and see. Sometimes God shakes our earth to awaken us to our mortality, to, our divini to his divinity, and to our helplessness. The one thing I see on those videos of people that go through earthquake, it's a look of terror because ain't nothing you can do. If the earth under you is moving, where do you go? Because everywhere you step is more earth. And some of us think our life is falling apart and your life is just about to begin. God is shaking you out of your comfortableness, shaking you out of your drunkenness, shaking you out of your stupor. And I'm not talking down to you. He shook mine. He shook my life before he gave me life. I was coming apart, coming loose, thinking that my life was spiraling down. And no, it was just the announcement that something great was about to happen. Yes. 
Sometimes God shakes our earth to dislodge stuck things and to release covered things. Some of y'all are stuck. It's bad when the wife's stuck and she's looking at the old man and he's stuck and the kids are stuck. School's stuck. Ain't no difference between a rut and a grave except the depth. Stuck. And earthquakes have a way of unsticking stuff that you put up yourself. They say, this is, you see them on TV, this was our house, and it's just gone, it's unstuck now. We, we're moving. I feel led to move. And it releases covered things. After an earthquake, you'll see they'll find in the ocean fish that they did not know existed that wash up on the shore. Subterranean levels of the earth will open up and we'll discover minerals and elements that might not have been classified before. And there's some things in your life that's been covered up, but God deposited in you when you were a child. And you're looking at the shaking, thinking it's such a horrible thing, but you're about to give birth to something new, something real, something eternal, something good, and it takes an earthquake to do it. Sometimes God shakes our earth to bring something down that we built that he don't want up. Relationships, patterns, directions. I can't tell you how many times, and you know, when you get around 50 and you hear about your stories, you look back more than you look forward. I just keep remembering, you know, men that would tell me I'd spent my life putting my ladder up against this wall only to have God knock the wall down and I have to start over. And I said, man, I'm sorry. No, 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 John. I ain't never been better. God tore my life up to give me a new one, an earthquake. And we're looking at what we lost. Two Christmases ago, on Christmas morning, I went to the LEC to the prison and sat with a guy and shared Christmas story with him. And I said, I'm really sorry about today. He goes, Pastor Wood, look, look, look. Ain't never been better. This is the best Christmas I've ever had in my life. And he goes, let me finish. You've been preaching to me. I want to preach at you a while. And he said, he turned it all over. I thought I was going to die and put me in this place that was so narrow that I couldn't help but see him. And God wanted me to tell someone in here, this earthquake that's going on in your life, you didn't cause it and you can't stop it. This is the Lord's doing. And he's uncovering some things and releasing some things. Number four, fearful of the supernatural and joyful in how he calms our fears. Fearful of the supernatural and joyful how he calms our fears. And an angel whose countenance was like lightning and raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became his dead men. And the angel said to the women, fear not. Notice the difference between the keepers of the tomb and the seekers of the Christ. One shook out of fear for judgment. And the other shook out of fear for revelation. The angel told the women, be not afraid. He didn't tell that to the gatekeepers. You better be afraid. And you know what many of us are? We're curious about God, but we don't want no God. We want religion without God. We want 
Sunday morning services that start at 10 o'clock sharp and then at 12 o'clock dull. And as long as we don't have God, we're good because if I tell the truth, Pastor John don't have no bearing in my life. But if I bump into God, that's going to mess me up now. I, I don't mind a creed. I don't mind a doctrine. But I don't need no angelic flashes. And his countenance was like lightning. I'd like $3 worth of God, please. Just a little bit. And many of us, I'm about to describe for some of you where you find yourself. You got a flu shot of God. Just enough God as a little kid to be inoculated from him and you don't even know him. Are you open today to say, Lord, visit my life with glory. Visit my life with your countenance. Do something in me so profound that you'd have to have an angel tell me, don't be afraid. We want a Christianity that doesn't ever, ever cause fear so that we can yawn our way through it. And God will mess you up. Fearful of the supernatural, but joyful in how he calms our fears. See, as Christians, we often have experiences before we have the understanding. Much of the Christian life is like the two-year-old girl that sees snow for the first time and it's landing on her nose, it's landing on her face, and she's, oh, oh, oh. And instead of trying to understand it, she just lays in it and makes snow angels and just experiences it. And God wants some of us to know that some of the understanding is going to come later. He wants us to experience him in the moment, in his power, in his glory. See, we were saved before we knew that we were saved. We were redeemed before we knew we were lost. We were being delivered before we knew what total deliverance was. We were being healed before we knew we were whole. We were being sanctified before we knew what consecration was. We were the temple of God before we knew we housed the Holy Spirit. And we were sons of God before we ever knew how complete our salvation was. I hear God saying to some of us, because he's pulling us into deeper water than we've ever known before, and we're starting to be fearful, fearful of the supernatural element. But you're going to be joyful in how God calms your fears as well. Number five, fearful of the distance between God and I, and joyful that he bridged the gap. Fearful of the distance between God and I, and joyful that he bridged the gap. The angel said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen from the dead and goeth before you into Galilee. I know you're looking for Jesus, the angel said. The Christ. The one that was crucified. Not a savior, but the savior. The one who was promised but you're not going to find him in diseased places. You're not going to find him in dark places. You're not going to find him in dead places. When I first became a Christian, one of the first resurrection Sundays after that, when the guy was preaching, I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. 
It flashed before me and I saw it. You know how the Lord quickens your spirit and you see your life retroactively? Looking for God in a club. He said, you ain't gonna find him here. It's too dark. You're not gonna find him here. It's too dead. You're not gonna find him here. This is a place of decay and decomposition. But notice the grace. I know what you're doing. You're looking for Jesus. You're just looking in the wrong places. You're looking for something real. You're looking for something true. Something to believe in. Something to build your life upon. Something to point your children to and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. There were many people that judged me in my teen and college years. All they saw was the preacher's boy that was living like hell. And every opportunity I had to sin, my answer was yes. And they labeled it rebellion. And to some degree, yeah, but that wasn't it. From the time my dad died till my late teens, I don't ever remember being joyful. I don't need your pity. I don't need your sympathy. There's a lot of people in here that had it a lot worse than I did. I'm just telling you my story. I just don't remember good times. None. And when I got on my own and I tasted partying, it was the closest thing to happiness I had felt since my daddy died. And many people fall into that trap and the devil feeds on this line and says, this is the high life. No, at my stage, any life was what I was looking for. And to think that God watched me in my brain dead teen years and my brain dead 20s, to think that he would say about me, he said, he's looking for Jesus. He just don't know it yet. You're not going to find him there, John. You're not going to find him there. So where does that leave us? Helpless? Except I didn't bridge the gap between me and God. He bridged the gap between me and God. And he came to my hiding place and found me. Took his coat off and put it on me. Put a ring on my finger, shoes on my feet and said, this is my boy, John. He's been looking for me, but in all the wrong places. And now that I've found him, strike up the band. And I've told you the truth. Your pastor tells you the truth about his life. I'm not painting it anything but truth. No joy. Temporary happiness today. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory. That don't mean that life ain't hard and I ain't tired and the babies don't have diapers that need to be changed. Thank you, Lord, for Kelly. She's really good at that. <laughs> but joy, joy that he bridged the gap. Fearful that I could not trust him and joyful that he is faithful nonetheless. The angel said, he's not here. He got up just like he said. Just like he said. I wonder if the angel said it with a little attitude. 
sitting on the stone. Said, what are you doing seeking the living among the dead? He got up just like he told you, bonehead. <laughs> Do you think it was all King James? I don't know. If I were an angel, I'd be like, we've been watching him for a couple of millennia. Why can't y'all get it that he keeps his word? Didn't he tell you he'd get up? He got up just like he said. Let me tell you what the resurrection story tells you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care who's given up and pushed the stone in front of it. I don't care what emotions you're feeling. If God said he's getting up, he's getting up. God keeps his word. Fearful that I'll never find him and joyful that he promises to find me. And said, and you'll see him there going into Galilee. You'll see him there. It's he that looked for the sheep. The sheep didn't look for the shepherd. It was he that looked for the coin. The coin didn't look for the owner. It was he that waited on the prodigal, not the prodigal that waited on him. And fearful that others won't believe my experience. And joyful that it don't really matter. Listen to this. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, to whom he'd cast out seven demons. And she went and told everyone who'd been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and been seen by her, they wouldn't believe it. Some of you are going to come into an experience that's going to be so real and so genuine and so eternal, and you're going to go to people you love and they ain't going to believe you. And you're going to be like, all right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's just too real and too good. You can't convince me that I've not been saved. You can't convince me that my name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, it matters that you don't believe me, but it really don't matter because I saw him. That's what Mary said. We don't believe you. So? Saw him anyway. Sometimes it's the people with the darkest past that have the brightest futures. Sometimes it's the people who are the farthest away that get to come in the closest. And sometimes it's the people who everyone disdains that Jesus gives great glory to. Very quickly, I want to give you these four quick stories and we'll close. There are at least four types of people in the gospel account of the resurrection that Jesus appeared to. And there are at least four types of people that are here today. And you know, you know God's talking to you because I'm going to find you in one of these stories. There's the person who's grieving. In Mark chapter 16, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb looking for Jesus. It was the garden of her greatest sorrow. She's a woman in whom Jesus casted out seven devils. And her gratitude, her love for him, and her relationship with him was irreplaceable. The disciples cried, but not like her. She is distraught disheveled, unconsolable. When Jesus appeared to her in the garden, she supposed he was the gardener. And can you, I, I don't have the capacity to say it like she did, but can you hear, those of you that have tasted sorrow, can you hear it in her voice and said, tell me where you laid him? You want to tell nobody else? I'm grieving so hard today that if I don't get to see him I think I'm going to die 
And the Lord told me today, this week, there'd be people here today that are grieving. You've buried someone. You lost someone. Something died in your womb. Somebody walked out that put a ring on your finger and told you, I'll never leave you. The mom that you couldn't live without dad that you can't let you can't live without him something ripped from you and you're like she was in the garden just help me just help me the first person Jesus appeared to was someone in grief he told me to tell you I'm hesitant to use those words because God doesn't say that to me often said Tell them that I will visit them in the garden of their sorrow and speak their name. And he said, Mary. And she turned. And they would call the rabbis in the, in the temple rabbi. But she says, Rabboni, which is rabbi of rabbis, master of masters. And she grabbed and fell on him. And some of you today are going to encounter the resurrected Christ because he's speaking your name to you through my words. I know where you are. I know where you are. There's the person who's disillusioned. In Luke 24, it tells us of the Emmaus disciples. They were walking down a long road between what they'd hoped for and what they had. And Jesus appeared to him and said, how are you guys? And I'm paraphrasing. They said, haven't you heard what happened? Haven't you heard about Messiah? We had all hoped that the Christ, Jesus the Christ, was Messiah. But he's been killed and they slaughtered him like an animal. And they hung him up on the cross and he's been in the tomb for three days. And we had just hoped that life wouldn't have been like this. This, this isn't how we planned this isn't how we believe. This isn't how we hoped. And the Bible says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus expounded all things unto them. And later, he appeared to them and their eyes opened and they saw him. There are people in this room that are disillusioned. Yeah, you're a family man and you, you love your wife and you love your kids, but life didn't turn out like you'd planned. Women, same thing. And see, in the church, we have to address these things. There's places we walk where other people can help and encourage us, but there are roads, like the Emmaus Road, where we need nothing less than a divine encounter with a, with a resurrected Christ. And what he did, he began to open up his word to them. And I have a word for the disillusioned people in here. The Lord's going to open scripture up and it's going to be like he's talking to you. And you're going to say the words, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us about the scriptures? Number three, there's the person who doesn't believe. In John 20, there's Thomas. Thomas was close, man. He was one of them that said, let's go die with him. You know, you'd be the one raised in church. I know the hymns and I don't know all the courses, but I used to know the hymns and you can finish the songs and finish the statements. 
But when it comes to believing to where you firmly rely and put all of your trust in the deity of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you know, I, I just, I go to church, man. I have to say it, I have to. There are people in this room that call yourself Christian. You're not saved. I believe what well, the devil believes. The devil says, there's the son of God. Legion said, what have we to do with you? Son of David, son of the most high. They believe. They just don't firmly rely and trust. There's not a saving faith. And Thomas was one that was willing to die for him a chapter before, which means, you know, he had seasons where he was close, but he said, I don't believe it. In the end, I don't believe it. And here's how you know you don't believe it, because you put your trust in you and not in him. I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to take care of myself. I, I'm, I, my trust is in me. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe till I put my fingers in the hole of his hands and put my fingers in his side. Let me tell you how great God's grace is for us. Arrogant fools like me and you. He walked through the walls of the room where Thomas was. Symbolically, he walked through the walls of his unbelief and he said, Thomas, come here. Put your hands right here. And Thomas went and put his hands there. He said, put your hand right here. He said, my Lord and my God. God shouldn't have granted him that type of encounter. But God doesn't deal with us based on who we are. He deals with us based on who he is. And great grace met doubting Thomas. And doubting Thomas wasn't doubting Thomas no more. And there are people that are grieving, people who are disillusioned, and people who don't believe. And God's meeting with you this morning in your spirit, touching the deepest place of your life. If our musician would come, please. And then there's the person who's failed. Simon Peter had told Jesus, he said, if everybody betrays you, I won't. You can count on me. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He said, it ain't happening. I'll go die with you. Okay. You know the story. Jesus was dragged into the praetorium and began to be whipped and scourged and mocked. And Simon is warming his hands at the world's fire. And they said, you're one of those disciples. He said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're one of those. You were there when the guys, the blind guys, eyes were open. He goes, I don't know the man. A few moments passed and another young maidservant said, you are one of those Galileans. And he began to curse. He began to change his life in such a way to prove that he didn't know who Jesus was. And the rooster crowed. And he remembered what Jesus said and he ran off into the night weeping. Failure will drive you back to how you used to live. And after this failure, Simon said, I go a fishing. I was fishing before I started with God. I'm gonna go back to fishing now. And some of you have turned 
you know what? I'll give, I'll give this to our credit. We're either going to live with God with all our heart or we're not. And we did something so sinful that the rooster crowed in our ear and he's never shut up since. And we said, I'm going back. I don't want to go back. I'm going back. So here he is on the boat and Jesus appears to the failure. Children, have you any meat? I ain't caught nothing. Throw your net on the other side. Who is that? Like we ain't thrown on this side before. Ain't nothing else working. And they threw it on the other side and the net began to break. It was so full. And Simon goes, that's the Lord. And he jumps, swims all the way to shore, soaking wet. Hey, Simon. Hey, come on. Let's take a walk. So the other disciples are pulling in fish. Let me tell you about a God encounter. The thing that you were in before he encountered you, you'll drop it. I don't care how full the net is. You just want to be back home. You just want to be back with God. He says, Simon, do you love me? He said, I thought I did. But who can do these things if I loved you? Feed my lambs. Simon, do you, do you really love me? I love you like a friend, I think. I'm not really sure. Okay, feed my lambs. Can you imagine how his heart beat in his chest walking with the Lord? Yeah, you can. It's beating in yours like that right now. He said, Simon, one last time. Do you love me? He said, you know all things. Feed my lambs, okay? Come on. And took him over to a coal fire. The last time we read of Simon being at a coal fire, he's denying Jesus. And now Jesus is feeding him fish and bread. So eat up. So eventually Jesus leaves. And you know the disciples are like our best friends. They want the skinny on what happened. They come in. Jesus took you off. What did he say? What'd you talk about? Did he ask you about the thing? He said he, he never brought it up. It just beats all I've ever seen. He never brought it up. He just wanted to know, did I love him? God is meeting with you today. If you're a failure, great grace is on you today. If you're disillusioned, great grace is on you today. If you're grieving, great grace is on you today. God is speaking over you and to you. You just have to respond. May I start with the Christians in case there's some here that they're in the valley of decision? I'm just a failure. And I didn't plan on embarrassing myself or whatever. But you know what? At this point in time, I don't care. I'm taking my coat off of my pride and I jump in the waters to come to God. If you're away from God, I'll tell you what you won't find in this church. You won't find the pastor that says, let me go ahead and wish you a Merry Christmas because I know I won't see you again until next year. God doesn't do that. I don't come to church often. He knows, but he loves you and cares for you. I want, I'm speaking to that Christian first. I'm not walking with God because of what I've done. 
but I'm going to find forgiveness today on Resurrection Sunday. If that's you with every eye open, just come and kneel. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to ask you what it is. Just come and kneel. You find a place of communion between you and God. That person that's grieving today and you need an encounter, you need to touch God. John's done what he can do, but that doesn't cut it. I need God today. I want you to come, that person grieving. I'm just, there's a hole in my heart. It don't matter how long ago it was. I'm grieving and I need help, Lord. And I want to be very careful at the entrance of this invitation. When I say you're disillusioned and somebody comes, y'all don't be so carnal to say, oh, I bet he's disillusioned with his wife. I bet he's disillusioned with his family. Keep your mind and your mouth off of them. Let them engage God. There's disillusionment in my life, Lord, and I'd hoped, but it's not. And I just, I need you on my Emmaus road. That's what I need. If that's you, I want you to come. I'm at a place of disillusionment. I need help, Lord. Thank you for your honesty. I need to meet Christ today on my road of Emmaus. All right, everybody looking this way while these pray. Pastor John, I'm not a believer. I'm not a, I believe yeah, mentally, but I, I just don't know that I would be saved. Whosoever will, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is your day. Resurrection Sunday, 2013. He is calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You ain't joining this church. You're joining Jesus. You're joining Christ, the body of Christ. I'm grateful the day I got saved, that the man gave me the opportunity to walk an aisle because I walked away from him and I wanted the opportunity to walk to him. And wherever you are this morning, say, today I'm making a public profession. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again the third day according to the scripture. No hesitation, no fanfare, and I give you my word, no one will embarrass you in this place. No one. Come on. Where are you? We've prayed all month for you. Where are you? Come on. Where are you? Come on. Great grace is on you right now. God bless you. Would y'all give her a hand as she comes? God bless you. Just come find a place in front. Where are you? Who else? Pastor John, maybe I believed as a little boy or a little girl. I think I did, but I... I don't know. Come on. Where are you? Today is the day of your salvation. Great grace is upon you. God bless you today, ma'am. Y'all bless the Lord as she comes. Anyone else? I remember my day like yesterday. Like yesterday, my heart was beating out of my chest. 
beating out of my chest. I don't even remember if the guy invited me. I said, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Altar's open. Who else? Backslider, where are you? You didn't come before because of pride. Where are you? Come on home. Where are you, backslider? Come on. God bless you today. Will you pray with our Sandra? Church, would you just take a few moments and pray for these in the altar? Would you do that? Our altars are still open. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you, feel free to come. And could we have people come now, a guy with a guy and a girl with a girl, and just come put your hand on them and pray with them? I hear someone in my spirit saying, thank you, Lord, for the earthquake. I was cursing it the other day, but thank you. You set some things free and dislodged some things. Church family, would you join us and stand and thanking the Lord in the last few moments of this Resurrection Sunday? Would you just lift your hands and begin to dialogue with Him and thanking Him for the great grace that's upon us all? Unbelievable grace. Unmistakable grace. Undeniable grace. Grace that's greater than all of our sin. thanks unto the Lord I believe Lord we believe Lord we believe Lord
There are people in this room today that have seen the Lord. Mary said, I've seen the Lord. Oh, what do you know? You used to be demon-possessed. Sure was. And I'm not who I used to be. I've seen the Lord. And when you see the Lord, expect great change. Expect great change. The two on the Emmaus Road, their hearts burned. Mary's sorrow was gone. Simon's guilt was gone. Recommissioned because of great grace. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and pray over us and dismiss us today. Lord, thank you for today and thank you for the lives that you've given us. Thank you for the seasons that we're in. Thank you for goodness and light, Lord God. And thank you, Lord, that in whatever place that we find ourselves in today, Lord God, that our lives are living testimonies of your grace, Lord God. That we have cycles where there's loss and death, Lord God, and then there are cycles where there's life, Lord God. But I thank you today. I thank you for the people who are up here at this altar and the people who... Lord, you spoke something specific to their hearts as they listened and as they prayed, Lord God. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that death's rule is completely finished. I thank you, Lord, that death isn't king anymore. And death never will be king again. And I just thank you, Lord God, for your life that reigns in us. Lord, may we just continue to walk out in just such a way that our lives, Lord, proclaim your glory, Lord. And it's in your perfect and beautiful and righteous Son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. God bless you.